to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Goal Line Extended. Today is Friday, April 9, and I'm your host, Ryan Holstbus. Thank you for joining us for our sixth show of GLE. We are happy that you are here watching or listening from wherever you might be. Goal Line Extended is available on YouTube and as a podcast for your viewing or listening conveniences. Make sure to check out all of our links in the description. But we have an exciting show planned today. In a few moments, the PLO's Joe Keegan will be joining me to talk about some of the biggest storylines around the Premier Lacrosse League as we continue on here into the month of April. The college draft just a few weeks away, April 26th, the new start date. And until then, the league's eight teams filling out their rosters to some degree as we move closer and closer to that draft date, Monday, April 26th. And then the waiver wire and trade window set to close on April 30. Could we see any moves made before that deadline? Joe is here to tell us everything that we need to know and should be keeping on our radar. And then in a little bit, flashes, Liam Kelly will be joining me to look ahead to this weekend's action in college across a handful of big conference games with tournament seating implications both this weekend and throughout the rest of the month of April. Liam and I have you covered. Stick around and you'll be able to catch that. And then to wrap up today's show, Water Dogs LSM, Rochester Nighthawks transition man, and Team Canada's all-world defenseman, Ryland Reese, will be joining me. You don't want to miss it. So stay right here on GLE as we get right into today's show. And as I said, joining me now, Joe Keegan from the PLL and PLL Stats. Joe, what's going on? How you doing? Welcome to Goal Line Extended. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I just talked about the college draft and then obviously looking ahead to the offseason and the trade window and waiver wire closing, looking ahead to what we might see going forward. But before we move any further, I want to backtrack. We've been busy here, you know, the last few weeks. You in particular hosting the entry draft on Twitter spaces, the film studies and player spotlights that we've been seeing the league uh, roll out here over the last few weeks. We're expecting those to pick up again here as we have the college draft coming up. But we're almost through the offseason right now. I'd say we're a good two-thirds of the way through here in early April. But at this point right now, taking expansion into consideration, the handful of trades we've been given, the entry draft, and now the moves that we've been seeing during the waiver period. In your opinion, which team has done the best? Which team has the most room for improvement? We know the Atlas still have a ton of picks. The Chaos have a handful as well in the college draft. And then out of all the additions made so far, which one do you think plays the biggest role and makes the biggest impact right away in year one for their new team? Yeah, if you're talking about the team that's done the best this offseason, you got to start with the reigning back-to-back champs, the Whipsnakes. They lost two guys in the expansion draft. You can't really do much better than that, thanks to all the retirements that they had this offseason. They were really able to protect their core 14. I don't know that anybody felt stronger about their 14 than the Whipsnakes did. Uh, they, they retained Rambo and Zed on attack, their entire close defense, uh, Joe Nardella at the face-off stripe. Really, everywhere you look, the Whips retained their championship roster and then reloaded via that entry draft when they got Chris Islanian and Charlie Hayes uh, to really replace some of those guys who did retire in the middle of the field. I had that ready for the end of the show. How did we allow the Whip Snakes to do this here? How did we allow them to get even better? They got Matt Abbott through the waivers, letting uh, Brian Cole slip to the third round. How do we allow this to happen? <laughs> it's uh, it, that's what they do. That's what they do. Stags does his research. Uh, Coach Murphy and Coach Grady are watching as much film as anyone uh, prepping. You know, I will say. I do think that 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 deep mid spot is still a question mark. Uh, They may have gotten better in some areas, 
maybe on the offensive midfield side. I really do like that Brian Cole and Chris Islanian pickup, but there's no replacing Tyler Warner. I mean, we, we can't sugarcoat that. Yes, they got a, a player who plays short stick D midi to come in and fill that roster spot, but there's only one Tyler Warner. And if he's not in a whip snakes uniform next year, then they have, they have a hole, you know, it's uh, it, they're not better at that one position. I wouldn't say filling Tyler Warner's role is easy, but if Zach Goodrich had fallen to seven, that would not have been too bad of a uh, replacement there, if you ask me. The chaos, they're yet to make a waiver claim here in the days and weeks following the entry draft. However, all seven of the other head coaches have made at least one claim. The Cannons, a total of nine additions at, uh, to max out their roster at 30 players. And then for the Water Dogs, Coach Copeland making just one claim, putting his team at 27 players. And that includes defenseman Noah Richard. We don't know yet you know, the full extent of his availability this summer but speaking of these additions Austin and I discussed a little bit on Tuesday about it some coaches making claims filling up their rosters with what looks to be the expectation to come out of the college draft with over 30 players 30 being that magic number that teams need to get to at the start of the season other coaches however like Towers opting to stay where he is he's currently at 25 players six picks so still that expectation that he'll go over 30 players heading into April 27 but Joe why aren't all the teams doing what coach Quirk did and then just filling up their rosters with as much pro talent as possible and then waiting to figure out kind of all the rest after the college draft. Yeah, there's two schools of thought there. Um, for some of these teams, like uh, you mentioned, with the Water Dogs having Noah Richard and Chaos having a couple players who uh, their military commitments could prevent them from making that 30-man roster. So those six college picks might not necessarily put them over 30. Um, the two schools of thoughts that we're seeing are uh, the Cannons, who have loaded up that roster with the college draft still to go. They have two picks there at the end of the month. And then the other teams who are saving that space, I think with those teams that are saving that space, we're seeing coaches who want to do right by the players and want to give them uh, the best opportunity to make a training camp roster. So it doesn't help the players or the coaches to pick up somebody who they don't believe will be on that 30 man roster that goes to training camp. So if they have no intentions of bringing a guy to camp, they're not going to claim him right now. Wait until the college draft, bring a, a rookie that you draft a new guy that you bring in to, to camp. That does make a lot of sense as we're kind of getting an idea here. How is, as the waiver period is rolling along on a, seems to be on a rolling basis with, with these deadlines for coaches to submit claims throughout the week. As we get closer and closer to April 26th and as these teams get a better idea of what their identity will be, what the lineup might look like, whether it be the, you know, a plan to carry over from last season or maybe a totally new plan with new faces in the building, the college across season then also rolling along, starting to get a better idea of who we, who might be available, how the draft should move along given some of the talent available and then teams. As we get close to this draft, how many claims do you expect to be made between now and April 26th? We just saw a few made at the end of last week. Do you expect anything major, I should say? I wouldn't expect anything major. I think there are a couple spots still to be filled. The Whip Snakes need a backup goalie after losing Jacob Stover, so – whether they pick one up now or they wait to see how one of these camp battles uh, plays out. The Redwoods right now are one of several teams with three goalies on their roster. They just brought in Brian Phipps. Uh, will Brian Phipps and Jack Kelly and Tim Troutner all make that 25-man roster? 
the Whips could wait for one of those camp battles to play out and then pick up a backup goalie. Uh, so I wouldn't expect anything major in the next couple of weeks. The Whip Snakes with one goalie, the Chrome with one faceoff man. The Atlas do have Chris Matz, but I'm not entirely sure of his availability for the summer. So there are a few teams kind of just highlighting faceoff and goalie that do have one guy. So probably set to add a backup. Moving along here, let's look uh, ahead to this college draft, a team that we've been watching very closely this offseason, aside from the expansion team, the Cannons. We've been keeping a very close eye on Ben Rubier and the Atlas. Rubier making a flurry of moves leading up to the expansion draft. He sent Paul Rabel to the Cannons, shuffled around some entry in college draft picks. He picked up the uh, the last pick of the first round in the upcoming college draft in that Paul Rabel trade. He also sent Ryan Brown to the Water Dogs for Andy Copeland's second round selection. That is the 11th overall pick of the draft. It will be his fourth within the first 11 selections if he keeps all those picks, and then he won't pick again until 17 at the top of the third round. Joe, it seems like Duke's Mike Sowers was a lock to go first overall in this college draft since he decided this time last year that he would return for another year of college across transferring to Duke after a storied four years at Princeton. You could probably make the argument that the Archers would have taken him first overall a year ago if he was set to play at the pro level last season. Sowers being a guy that Coach Bates recruited to Princeton but never got the opportunity to coach. But it looks like a slam dunk here for Coach Rubier, adding a gifted pass or a gifted dodge or score and Mike Sowers first overall to complement the other pieces he has on offense. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I know what Coach Rubier is doing with number one. Michael Sowers is a phenomenal talent, but I think Coach Rubier took everybody by surprise in the entry draft and uh, could still have some more tricks up his sleeve. Uh, I'd say Jared Bernhardt from Maryland, uh, Jeff T. from Cornell are as much in that conversation for the number one pick as Sowers is. We don't want to look too far ahead because we need content here for the show over the next two weeks leading up to this draft. But looking ahead there to picks 8, 10, and 11, I would say these picks might even be more important than you know that, uh, that possibility to lock up Sowers first overall. Obviously, other names there as well. But give me some names that you think could end up falling there to the end of the first round, the beginning of the second. How do they fit into what Cooch Rubier is trying to build here at, at uh, Atlas LC? Again, not exactly a rebuild. It's more of a retool as our good friend Austin Owens uh, coined for us. Yeah, I like the retool. I, I think Rubio probably likes that too. He's not a fan of the rebuild name. Uh, but whether they're retooling or just building, you know, for this 2021 season, there are going to be a lot of opportunities to add talent at 8, 10, and 11. Uh, you look at how some of these top picks are going to play out. Uh, we can see some guys who maybe don't necessarily fit a role on one of those top seven teams uh, picking in the draft, a guy like Mac O'Keefe, who's a left-handed sharpshooter uh, might not fit on one of those teams that already has a lefty. So he could slip down there. Maybe a guy like Connor Kirst, who right now is really playing out of position, playing down on attack, not producing the same as he was earlier in the season, or maybe at Villanova uh, or not producing in the same way that he could in the pros. He might be a better pro than he is a college player as a sort of two-way guy between the arcs, especially with that two-point line. So two-point line, like short and field, could play to his advantage. Absolutely could, yeah. Guys like Trey LeClaire, uh, Connor Kirst, who are right now playing on attack but could give that attack midfield versatility that I think Rubio has made pretty apparent he wants. He wants versatility, whether that's, 
between attack and midfield and a guy like John Crawley or between offense and defense in Brian Costabile, Joel Taney, and now Brent Adams, who he just traded for. So there are going to be a lot of guys like that who maybe Coach Rubier has a role in mind for them and can plug them into this lineup, and they'll get more time on Atlas, right, than they would on any other club in the league right now. Oh, yeah, you brought up – or we brought up the Whipsnakes before, a guy, Brad Smith, attackman, midi hybrid kind of that can play both. We saw how successful he was, how successful the Whipsnakes were when he was out there. So hopefully the Atlas maybe at uh, the chance to add a player similar to his uh, play style here in this draft. The Water Dogs, they sit at number two after Coach Colpin made a point of addressing his defense in the entry draft. who will have a chance to choose whoever Rubier essentially passes on. And as we've been saying over the last two weeks since we debuted this show, the college draft is absolutely loaded. However, we do not like we got to keep in mind, though, that some of these guys are seniors that have the opportunity to return for a fifth season as a result of the MCAA's decision to grant all spring athletes another year of eligibility last year. That stretches for the next few seasons. So a handful of notable names, Chris Gray, Nakeem Montgomery, to name two of them, the chance to possibly return to school on another season of eligibility. And then to mention uh, the Ivy League, you mentioned Jeff T before. There's a lot of unknowns right now kind of surrounding him. So right there, two names, three names, actually, that Coach Copeland might have circled as we count down the days to the draft. Their plan might not be to play professional cross in 2021. So the storylines that we will follow as we approach the draft. But for Andy Copeland at two, his only pick in the first two rounds, what holes should he be looking to fill? Or is there a guy there that you think is a just absolute no-brainer? Yeah, I think he needs a stud attackman. I think last year we saw that Water Dogs team with a lot of good players, uh, but not one great player. And we've seen the benefit to having that hierarchy, that pecking order, that that knowledge of when the game is on the line, the ball is going to Matt Rambo. Uh, and the whips don't defer to him, um, but they respect that he's the guy who's going to make a play in that moment. Um, and in last year's championship, it was Zed Williams for the whips and whoever that guy is, the water dogs have lacked that presence, that go-to guy. They cycled through a lot of different attackmen trying to find the right fits. So at number two, they absolutely need to add a guy, whether it's Michael Sowers or Jared Bernard or Jeff T, like you said, they're essentially picking from whoever Ruby or passes up. So, uh, all three of those really could be that guy for the Water Dogs. Definitely the opportunity here to get a stud attackman, as you're saying here at number two. Talking to Joe Nardella last week, I interviewed him last week. He says every team here at the top of the draft should be looking at TD Erland as that no-brainer. And then I posed him this, given the Water Dogs face-off situation. Obviously, he's not on the Water Dogs, but just in conversation, keep Withers as your lead guy. Get someone to compliment him, similar to what we saw Drew Simno do last summer and then trade out of two to a team that wants to secure TD as Andy Copeland. You hopefully get a nice package of picks and maybe a, a player there in that trade. Now, I'm, I'm floating that idea out there, just kind of floating it around for Copeland at two. And then I would say for Sudan, even at three, given that Copeland seems to have found his face-off man in Withers, Sudan has Connor Farrell manning the X. He's been great over the past two seasons. So I'm flowing that out there just for those two teams. The Redwoods and the Archers, I'm thinking, being the two teams most likely to make a move to secure him, the Redwoods selecting there at uh, four, the Archers at five. Do you think we see something like this, something that maybe not in this regard to go try to get TD, but any kind of trade really to move up in the first round? Andy Towers also holds six picks, as we mentioned before. 
Yeah, he has a ton of picks. He got his guy in Max Adler in the entry draft, but I wouldn't rule him out uh, targeting an Ivy faceoff guy. Uh, he's um, sure to have his eye on TD. I think that 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 really is where you draw the line, right? You, you said that three pick for Chrome. That seems to be where you need to get to, uh, potentially higher, if you want TD. So if it's the Water Dogs training down, I think it's a matter of securing, like I said, one of those three stud attackmen, Bernhardt, uh, T or Sowers. You don't want to trade down and put yourself out of that range and end up in the same situation you were in last year where you have a lot of guys who can all make a case to get time on the field. Uh, so whether whether it's the Archers leapfrogging the Redwoods or the Redwoods trading up to secure uh, that they don't get jumped, I think we absolutely could see a move as as people identify that last need. I think for those two teams, the Archers and Redwoods, the face-off position is that one thing that they need. They've addressed everything else. The Archers addressed defense through the entry draft. They got bigger. They got stronger with Grant Hossack and Warren Jeffrey. The Redwoods found their quarterback in Rob Pinnell uh, via trade. So they've both addressed their weaknesses on the ends of the field that they thought they could get better at right in the middle at the faceoff stripe is where they can kind of fit that last piece of the puzzle to get past Nardella and the whips. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it. Like in an NFL term, like you think like NFL teams making trades to try to get up in the first round to secure kind of their quarterback that they see being a part of their future. The same situation I think applies here. You're, Redwoods at four. If TD slips to four, I think, you know, if the Redwoods pass on him, that's really on them. I don't see them doing it. But obviously, as you're saying, the Archers would have to leapfrog the Redwoods. It depends, though. Do they go to two? Do they go to three? If they go to three, they run the risk of the Redwoods then leapfrogging them to two, as you were saying there. So definitely stuff to watch. I'm trying to get the ball rolling on that, see if uh, we can get a trade involving some first round picks in this college draft. We'll see who's tuning into the show and who's not. Uh, you know, based on whether we see a trade like this, we'll see who's who's actually watching. But speaking of the Redwoods, one of the more interesting things we saw during the first waiver period was Nat St. Laurent adding attackman Andrew Q. He did so with the fourth overall waiver spot, it appears, and then trading him to the Cannons for a third-round pick in this college draft. Very important for St. Laurent, given that he was down picks in this draft from the Miles Jones trade last season. That carried over into this year. He gets that pick back and is able to either use it on a talented player in that third round or as capital, as we're saying, in a possible trade to move up again, trying to push the agenda on that idea. But Joe, interesting move nonetheless. Was this something that was previously like discussed as a possible option or did this kind of just happen, pick up a guy on the waivers and then flip him immediately for a trade? Uh, you'd have to ask Coach Nat. Sorry, so this, I guess, just kind of came to bar. This is a really good move, though, I think, for, for St. Laurent. And then really for Quirk, adding another lefty attackman. As we're saying, there's not a there's so many lefty shooters out there. As we're saying, Mac O'Keefe going to be tough to try to find a spot for him. But Andrew Q, how does he fit into this Cannons team that they're, they're starting to build here? Yeah, I think he fits in really well. Out of those lefties who were available, I think Mark Cockerton and Andrew Q were really my favorites. And I'm sure Coach Quirk put in a claim for Mark Cockerton and uh, got jumped by the Atlas. Uh, that's Quirk has coached Cockerton for years now with the Cannons. Uh, so he missed out on Cockerton and really put an emphasis on finding a guy like Q. Uh, 
I'm sure they could still add another lefty if one falls to them in the college draft. I would not rule that out at all. But for now, it gives them something that they weren't able to find in that expansion draft. They got Deemer Class, who's a left-handed shooter out of the box. They got Brendan Gleason, who's more of a dodging, uh, really a midfielder in this league who can invert and uh, beat his man off the dribble. Not exactly uh, an off-ball lefty. When when we talk about like a capital L lefty, we're thinking of those guys, you know, who are sitting on that pipe and can uh, finish inside or sling from the wing. Absolutely. And hey, we talked about the Atlas. We talked about the Water Dogs, the Archers, the Redwoods, obviously looking for a possible, probably a face-off man, I would expect. The Chrome, what do you see as a need for them heading into this this draft at uh, third overall? Yeah, I think they're in a unique spot where they've they retained so much defensively, even though they lost a few guys in the expansion draft. They're getting Joel White back. Uh, and they really like their core on that end. They protected Tom Rigney, who played uh, in the MLL last summer in their bubble, uh, but will be with Chrome this year. They're really solid everywhere. So I think they're in a unique spot where they can take the best player available, and that might that might end up turning some heads, right? Because uh, whoever you peg Chrome to pick right now um, – if you're if you're picking based on a need, good luck finding a need on that team. I think they're going to take the best player, uh, regardless of who they have currently on their roster, which could shock some people. That could be a Mike Sowers. That could be a Jeff Teat. That could be a Jared Bernhard. That could be a Mac O'Keefe if they see him as possibly that best player. Handful of names there towards the top of the draft. Loaded draft, as we're saying. Even a defenseman, we could see J.T. Giles Harris possibly as a. Uh, possibility there at third overall joe i want to thank you so much for joining me here on gle uh liam kelly will be joining me next to talk college lacrosse don't go anywhere we will be right back back to GLE. Happy Friday to all of you out there. I hope you're all having a fantastic day. And if you're not, well, we're hopefully about to change that. And by we, I mean myself and Liam Kelly. And how are we, go about, uh, how are we going to do that? You might be asking by getting you set for another weekend of college across action. We have top ranked Duke heading to Notre Dame to take on the fourth ranked Irish. Virginia, number six in the country in the inside lacrosse rankings. They travel to North Carolina to take on the number three Tar Heels after their first loss of the season last week. The Patriot League Flips those matchups that we had last weekend. We'll have Army and Loyola and then Navy and Lehigh on Saturday. All four teams vying for seating as we head into the last few weeks of the regular season with Lehigh out in front at 5-0 and in conference play. In the Big Ten with a trio of matchups as Maryland and Rutgers try to lock up the top two spots. In the conference, Ohio State with a chance to make their claim for that third spot in the big as they host Johns Hopkins. As always, make sure to subscribe, follow the show as well as Lacrosse Flash on social media, and check out lacrosseflash.com. Joining me now, as I tease there in my little introduction, Liam Kelly, Lacrosse Flash analyst. Liam, welcome back to the show. How you doing, my man? Hey, that. Uh, happy to be back again. 
Absolutely. I think we lost you there on that beginning, but we're all good. Hey, before we get into those games that I mentioned there off the top, a game that is going on right now. I actually have it pulled up right here on a uh, computer screen in front of me. I'd imagine before the end of the show, we'll have a final score. But just talking about it as it gets going here, Albany at Syracuse, an important game really for both of these teams. For Syracuse, they've dropped their last two games, both conference games against Duke and now uh, Notre Dame last weekend, needing to get back on track here before they get back into the ACC play before May, North Carolina, Virginia, and Notre Dame still on the schedule ahead of a scheduled game with Utah in May and then the ACC tournament. So an out-of-conference game that Syracuse would really like to win here. And then for Albany, they're in a similar situation. They've lost two conference games, sit a, uh, a game behind Stony Brook, U UMBC, and Vermont in the America East standings, and they play UMBC and Vermont in back-to-back -back weeks beginning on Sunday. So a really important game for Albany, who are without, remember, attackman to Hogan Nantico. Liam, as this game gets started, how do you see it playing out? And then for each team, some keys that you're looking for that, that are necessarily not going to determine the outcome in this game, but going forward, they might play a pivotal role. Yeah, um, obviously this is going to be an exciting matchup and it's going to tell a lot about these teams as uh, as they're going. We got uh, Q's looking to bounce back and I think they will. Um, the benefit for them is that they play a really, really strong strength of schedule. So um, I would imagine that this was kind of a circled game for them looking to come out of a tough stretch with Duke and Notre Dame. So um, just look for them to see if they can get that production back up. And then out of Albany, they... Like you said, they're missing Toka, and the big thing is going to be seeing how they can compete down the stretch. Uh, we've seen them individually playing game here, game there without them, and they've proven that they can compete. But you know, this team's the next level, and they're going to be uh, they're going to be a tough test today. Um, as for look things to watch, I think we just got to see that continued production from Syracuse's kind of second line. Um, we've seen it. They've been throwing out highlights. Siebold had that wraparound goal last week. And then um, really from Albany, they're going to be tested through their defense. So they lose an offensive star. And how can that defense, you know, step up now that they're going to have a bit more weight on their shoulders? Albany and Syracuse on right now as we speak. By the end of the show, we should have a final score and a quick reaction, so make sure to stick around for that after Water Dogs LSM. Ryland Reese will be joining me soon. As for the rest of the America East, though, Albany will be back in action on Sunday, as I mentioned before. They host number 16, UMBC. Stony Brook will head to NGIT, and Vermont will head to UMass Lowell, a full America East conference slate that also includes Big Hampton and Hartford. All right, let's tackle this thing head on. We got Duke at Notre Dame Saturday at noon Eastern on ESPNU. For Notre Dame, Pat Cavanaugh has been electrifying. Will York, the Bucknell transfer, fitting into this offense pretty well. He's found the back of the net 14 times this season. Kyle Gallagher and Charlie Leonard, that two-headed monster, they've both been great. Both of them north of 70% on the year at the faceoff X, but Duke's got uh, two solid faceoff guys too, and Jake Nasso, and then transfer Dan O'Connell. That seemed to be one of the glaring differences last weekend, or last week, I, I mean, in Duke's win over North Carolina. Nasso, in particular, going 15 for 24 at the stripe, and then we know about what you know what Duke is capable of doing offensively. We saw Joe Robertson, in particular, step up huge last week. Uh, it seems like for Duke, that's going to have to be the case here as well, because the Irish defense has been incredible, allowing an on average seven goals a game and Duke's defense hasn't been too bad themselves. Blue Devils, you know, they're undefeated for a reason. What do you think these offenses do to try to break through, open up the scoring? Because with, you know, how good these two defenses are, it's all going to be based on who can control that momentum. 
Yeah, I'm a little interested to see if Notre Dame kind of takes the same approach for Michael Sowers as uh, UNC did. Um, that lock off, not with a short stick, but with the pole, kind of prevents matchup off the end line. You know, it, it really just provides a blanket cover. Um, that being said, we saw huge production out of Robertson. We saw huge production just from the, their key players around. And like you said, the depth is incredible. So um, if they play team style, except I would expect Sowers to have five, six, seven points probably. Um, he's just too good not to. And then on the other side, you know, Pat Kavanaugh has been incredible. I think he should be in the Tuareton watch. Um, for some reason, he hasn't really been included to this point, and people are starting to notice. Um, that being said, if you get a guy like JT Giles Harris to lock him down, maybe, you know, slide a little early. Um, but if they can lock York on the backside, he's had a couple of four goal games and really prevent those two guys from getting going. I think uh, it's going to be a long day for Notre Dame. Uh, I talked about it last time I was on here. All the faceoff guys in this game are going to be huge. And I actually think that it might kind of cancel each other out. So really, like you said, those defenses um, and then the offense responding, but I would expect if Notre Dame keeps with their, you know, traditional team defense, then Sowers will have room to be a bit more flexible and, you know, creative than he was in that last game. And then on the other side, somebody's got to stop Pat Kavanaugh. And I think that this is the game for JT Giles Harris to really, you know, show why he's that number one deep prospect. Uh, you bring up Pat Kavanaugh. We're going to be talking a little bit uh, later on about some Tuareton uh, players, obviously some finalists, uh, and then maybe some guys that we're not talking too much about, Pat Kavanaugh, possibly being one of them right now. But the other ACC matchup we have this weekend is Virginia and North Carolina. UNC coming off their first loss of the season to Duke, and they are just you know getting started on their ACC schedule. They'll close out the regular season with all-conference game and then a rematch on Sunday, May 1st at home against Duke before the ACC tournament begins. We didn't see very much offense out of the Tar Heels last week. Chris Gray held to two goals. Tanner Cook had two as well. How does North Carolina get this offense going? That's how they managed to win their first meeting uh, with Virginia. Well, I think it's going to be more of the same that we saw in that first matchup. Um, Virginia is a team that likes to run and gun. Obviously, they have some great talent down low, but I think, you know, UNC is going to have a bounce back game. Really, they're one goal away from being 9-0 and and there's a reason behind that. I think it's a uh, a game where Chris Gray will probably want to reestablish that dominance that he's had all year and, you know, two goals. And I think he had one assist as well. That's not enough in his mind. I mean, for most players, that's a great day. But, you know, they're going to reestablish. Guys will be going. Um, their focus all week will have been, you know, just getting back into their rhythm and consistency across the board. And then, from the Virginia side, it's it's really just taking that step forward each and every week. We've seen growth. We've seen, you know, large steps of improvement from Docs as he gets back into lacrosse. And, you know, both these teams are real heavy hitters. So on any given day, you know, one team can establish a 2022 20, goal performance. And really, I, I would I'm excited for this game. I think one thing, too, to watch for UVA, the face-off battle. Petey Lasalo has been great this year, uh, 66%. As I said earlier, the glaring difference last week between Duke and North Carolina was those face-off numbers. If we see a similar performance out of Lasalo that we saw Nassau put up, I think we see a similar outcome as last Thursday. But to get this win, what's the key for Virginia? Um, 
it's going to be slowing down UNC. I think UNC is really going to not be happy with 11 goals, even though they were playing a great Duke uh, team defense. But um, if they're allowed to run and gun, then UNC is going to have probably a slight edge there. And I think that it's going to be that defense that has to step up and really try and keep Chris Gray to another two-goal performance. Virginia and UNC Saturday at 2 p.m. Let's move on to the Big Ten. Rutgers heads to Penn State, as mentioned before. Ohio State will host Johns Hopkins. And Maryland, the number two team in the country, will travel to Michigan. Liam, we've been saying the last few weeks on this show that Maryland is the clear number one out of the conference here. Rutgers seems to be the clear number two. So we now we just need to see you know how the rest sort of – you know play themselves out here. Ohio State moved up two spots following their loss to Rutgers, be it a one-goal loss, but looking like they could make a case for that third spot. What do they need to prove this weekend? Well, I think I think Maryland's established it. We're, we're done with that conversation, moved on. Uh, Rutgers, I think a 10-9 win over Ohio State might have been a little bit of self-doubt. You know, they, they really had a a good solid first game against Maryland. And then, you know, Maryland probably crushed a little bit of spirit where Rutgers thought they would be able to bounce back and kind of get a win out of it. But, you know, um, Ohio state, their, their trailer, Claire, their offense, their, their dynamic, they're powerful and they can really, um, you know, compete with the best of them. And I think in my eyes, they are number three. I don't think Penn state's got enough to, you know, come out and win a game versus Rutgers this weekend. I don't see Michigan being able to claw their way back, even though they did have a win over Hopkins. And then, you know, Hopkins has had a tough schedule just this entire year. So um, I think I think I would expect Ohio State to have a big weekend, you know, establish themselves in that third spot. I think Rutgers-Penn State is going to be exciting to watch. Um Penn State has shown that they can play throughout the season. They just haven't had enough consistency to be there the whole time. Um, Mako keeps still, I think he had three goals his last game. He's still chasing that goals record. And when they're clicking, they're they're very tough to slow down. Um, they have good faceoff guys. They have good team defense, great goalies. So uh, as long as everyone comes to play, they're going to be a tough win for Rutgers, especially after, you know, seeing a little bit of a slowdown from their early season surge. And then, um, you know, the Big Ten's the Big Ten. Anyone can win at any time. So it's, it's hard, but I think we've kind of seen where, where those rankings lie at this point. You bring up Ohio State really kind of solidifying themselves as that number three. Obviously, we'll see over these next couple games how they, if they can do that, not how they can do that, but if they can do that. I look at Penn State. I think they have the most likely chance to land that fourth spot, and that – could be a very important uh, seating spot, home field advantage possibly for that first round of the tournament at stake, given that the two top two teams would get a bye to the second round. And I say that not because they have the easiest remaining schedule, but more because they kind of control their own fate. Johns Hopkins and Michigan both play Rutgers and Maryland on their remaining season schedule, whereas Penn State, as we're saying, has Rutgers this weekend and then Michigan and Ohio State. If I was a betting man, obviously, my bets would be on Penn State to come out on top here in that group. Um, but yeah. What do you think Penn State needs to show you, though, just put, taking all that into account, obviously, the schedules for those three teams? What does Penn State need to show you that you can confidently say, I think they're ranked higher than a Michigan or a Johns Hopkins? Well, I just think that they need to finish the season out. I think that, you know, you can break down every position and they got they have talent across the board. They got Colby Kniesen that they have 
like I said, the face-off play, they're, they're really their biggest loss over the last little while has just been Grant Amen. And if somebody can find a role that is that distributor creating open passing lanes, skip lanes, finding all the guys that can finish, because you have guys that can finish inside, you got Mac keep shooting outside, you've got guys that'll run through sticks. If they if they really just establish somebody as being their go-to, uh, you know, they're they're really their spark plug on their offense, and that's going to be it. That'll be it for me. I think they're they're too talented on paper, minus one guy that was really the catalyst. That there shouldn't be a drop off like we've seen. We will see how Penn State fares this weekend against Rutgers and. Moving on to the Patriot League. For the second week in a row, the Patriot League is gifting us two phenomenal matchups. Army off their loss last weekend to Lehigh. They head to Loyola, who's fresh off a win last weekend against Navy. And Navy, now ranked number 19 in the country by inside lacrosse, plays Lehigh at 4 p.m. Saturday. Lehigh currently sitting at the top of the conference at 5-0 on the year. 4-0 in conference and all the way up to number 7 in the inside lacrosse media rankings. We're looking forward to those two games. And another big game as well in the Patriot League, friend of the show, Reese Eddy's alma mater, Boston University, plays at Colgate on Saturday. The Terriers right in the mix in the Patriot League, sitting at 5-0, and 3-1 oh, uh, and one in conference play. 5-2, and two, excuse me, 3-1 and one in conference play. Liam, out of these three matchups, what are you most looking forward to watching? Um, I, think, I think it's probably going to be this Army-Loyola game. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change that. I'm going to say this Navy-Lehigh game. I really think that, you know, Lehigh's coming off the Army win. Um, Navy just lost to Loyola. But Loyola's been outside of that 1,000 game, really. They've been excellent. And even though I did call that 1,000 loss, I just didn't think I saw Loyola pulling a full season, you know, sweep across that. And um, Navy's consistent and they're very balanced they got they're led by uh patrick skalniak out of dallas he's been phenomenal um and then for lehigh they got shelling and sidorsky and so really it's going to be how these teams can game plan for the other team i think it's a bit harder to game plan for navy because their offense is so spread out and they got guys doing everything so um it'll be interesting i think lehigh is the best team in this conference and I just think Navy is going to be a really competitive team that can potentially take a shot at them. Um, they'll be a tough team to beat, though. And then speaking of that Army Loyola game, um, you know, Loyola, like I said, they did have that one loss, but they've been consistent outside of that. The 24-10 win before, you know, a one-goal loss in overtime um, and then a bounce-back win over Navy, you know, those are tough teams to beat in a stretch so that's why i figured there was going to be one loss in there and army's got brendan nickturn they've got i think they're more athletic i think they're you know stronger overall physically they're a bit more imposing but loyola has the skills um olmstead's averaging almost four and a half points a game lindley's averaging three and a half so there's two big big names on the loyola front that can do some damage but um i think army loyal is a bit more predictable than that lehigh navy game 
we will see how those outcomes come out of the Patriot League. Very excited for those games. We have some other notable college across action going on this weekend as well. The 20th ranked team in the country, Villanova, traveling to Denver to take on the Pios, who are undefeated since those two losses to Duke in North Carolina at the end of February. Cruising along as of late, TD has been great since joining the team, 25 of 26 in two games. So we'll see how Villanova fares in the face-off department. And in this one, number 10, Georgetown will head to Marquette, and then we'll see that much anticipated rematch in D.C. next weekend between Georgetown and Denver. Denver taking the first meeting back in mid-March. And tonight, tonight being Friday night, Ryan Tierney and number 18 Hofstra will head to UMass. We got a full slate this weekend and then an ACC battle to look forward to on Thursday as Duke heads to Virginia. And we should learn a lot more about those two teams this weekend as they each have another big test. Liam, thank you for joining me, my friend. We will go. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday to recap these scores. But before I let you go, the uh, Tawaratan Award has been adding names to its wa uh, watch list. As of right now, that number is up to 70 names. We know how great Jared Bernhardt and Chris Gray and Michael Sowers have been. Brendan Nickturn from Albany has been playing well this season as well. He's in the conversation. Stephen Rafus, after being left off that original list, he seems to be back in that main conversation. Who's a guy that, in your opinion, isn't getting enough buzz around this award? I think just going back to Pat Kavanaugh, you know, he, his last outing was, I think, five and four against a very strong Q's team. Um, he's getting recognition from, you know, analysts, pro players, you know, everyone. And it's for a good reason. He is electric. He's feeding, he's scoring, he's getting hockey assists. He's basically the, he is the offense. I don't want to be that bold to say he is Notre Dame's offense, but he's the reason that, you know, Will York can score four goals a game and he can have the day that he does against Virginia in such a close game, but um, it, it, it's hard that he's not in that running right at the end of the year. Liam, appreciate you joining me as always. For everyone watching and listening, we will be back momentarily with Water Dogs LSM, Ryland Reese, do not go anywhere. back to the show friday april 9 i hope you're all having a great day wherever you might be beautiful day here in columbia south carolina at least today is today being wednesday trying to rival that beautiful weather that our good friend eli gobert had on tuesday out in san diego i think it's like 90 degrees here today so we love to see that cannot be incredible weather but speaking of san diego our next guest is also coming to us from the west coast out in vancouver he's a member of team canada an all-world defenseman during Canada's 2018 silver medal campaign in Israel. He was also the 2019 America East Defensive Player of the Year in his senior year at Stony Brook, a 2019 MLL All-Star for the Boston Cannons in his rookie season, and now he's headed in, into year two as a member of the Water Dogs Lacrosse Club. Joining me now, Water Dogs LSM and Rochester Nighthawks transition man, Ryland Reese. Ryland, what's going on, my man? Hey, how you doing? What's going on, man? Are you doing good? 
Yeah, doing well. Just, uh, you know, staying safe, trying to get through this uh, pandemic and looking forward to the season coming ahead. Absolutely. Hey, let's start with uh, let's start with Stony Brook, the Seawolves. You guys have been uh, looking pretty solid so far this season, six and three on the year. One of those losses came at Syracuse in the Dome, big ACT, uh, ACC test coming off two tough road losses back to back. We'll let that one slide. But then those other two losses, the first one at Hofstra, high scoring game. Hofstra escaped with that one. And then the heartbreaker against UMBC in four overtimes. It doesn't get much worse than that. But six and three on the year. Four and one in conference, still tied atop the conference standings. And then to close out the season at the end of this month, you'll host UMBC in a rematch and then head out to Vermont. Both those teams also sitting at four and one in conference play. We'll see how that all shakes out and how it affects the conference standings heading into tournament play. But Ryland, heading into the last month of the season, what have you liked from what you've seen from this Stony Brook team so far? And how do you think they fare through the rest of the season and then into May? Yeah, it's good. Uh, their offense, let's say, is clicking on all cylinders. You know, they haven't had problems scoring goals um, this season. Um, you know, a tough one against Hofstra and UMBC. Um, you know, I've been there against Hofstra. Ryan Tierney is a hell of a player. Um, there's a lot. He's so versatile, does so many things differently um, and does so well. Um, you know, their defense, Devin O'Leary is doing a great job kind of picking up where I left off. You know, he's starting to put the ball in the net, coming into his own there. And, uh, it's great to see. Um, you never know what that UMBC team, um, you know, I've lost them a couple of times in my career. Um, you know, they go back and forth between a zone and man to man defense. So it's hard to, hard to get into a rhythm offensively. So hopefully they can um, figure that out. And, uh, you know, talking with some of the guys on the Stony Brook team, um, they're loving it. Um, you know, they're just going out competing and uh, just playing their best every time, every game. Stony Brook in and out of the top 20 rankings throughout the season this week. They are up to number 17 and definitely a chance here to separate themselves from the rest of the teams in the America East. We'll see if they can manage to do that again. UMBC at home on April 24th and then at Vermont on May 1st with two conference games before those. So a busy month indeed coming up here for the Stony Brook Seawolves. Let's talk some NLO. We're hopefully going to be set to go the weekend of April or of December 3rd and 4th and be looking at a full 2021-2022 season for the NLL. Unfortunate that we couldn't get the season going this weekend as was originally scheduled, but the necessary precautions being taken here to ensure a smooth and successful season. We don't want to look too far ahead, but getting back on the floor with the Nighthawks, what are you most excited about and what should fans be looking forward to? I mean, I think we had a lot of close games that we, we could have come out with on top. Um, you know, we are a new team. We're getting used to each other, playing with each other, um, and just building that chemistry. So, you know, I'm really excited for when December comes, um, you know, get back to training camp and competing with those Nighthawks again. Um, you know, I think the talent that we have there um, is phenomenal, you know, with guys like Sean Evans, Turner Evans, Holden Tony, Curtis Knight. So, you know, just building off of how we ended last year, you know, unfortunately with um, COVID and how this season ended and not being able to play the rest of the season, um, you know, I'm excited for the two guys to come back healthy, ready to go. Um, everyone's just kind of doing their part, getting their workouts in now and preparing for season. So, uh, I couldn't be more excited for December to come. Definitely helps when you have a full 2021 season for the PLO coming up. And that is the reason why we don't want to look too far ahead because that 2021 PLO season is coming up first. June 4th is when games will get underway and the league just announced this week that we should be getting a schedule sometime next week as we approach the 2021 season. Before we get into talking about the team that you'll be heading into training camp with, I want to talk about a guy that you lost in expansion, Brody Merrill, incredible leader, incredible player, practically a coach on the field. You've played with him now professionally at the international level with Team Canada. He was recently drafted by the Cannons in expansion, a key piece 
of your defensive unit a year ago in the championship series heading into this season coach Copeland he's made a handful of additions already but what's the plan to replace Brody Merrill if that's even possible uh that's one of the players that's it's pretty irreplaceable um you know he'll probably go down as the best long pole to ever play um not only just the skill that he has but the leadership that he that he shows and the help that he gives to his teammates um you know I've learned a ton from Brody whether it's watching him growing up or playing with him in Israel or um, playing with him on the water dogs. He's just always that leader um, and that vocal player on the defensive end, kind of tying things down. Um, so it's really hard to lose Brody, but um, you know, coach Copeland did a really good job in bringing in, you know, another kind of veteran guy and Liam Burns, who's played at the top level, who's a phenomenal long pole um, lights push transition, but also he's really good with that help defense and communicating. Um, and, you know, we're excited for him. And then another guy, Ben Randall, you know, I played with him for a year at Stony Brook. He was a phenomenal long pole there. He moved on to Ohio State and, you know, doing his All-American and doing what he does best. And um, you know, so I, I know Benny pretty well, and he's a phenomenal defender. And these are two great additions to the water. I to help that defense and, um, you know, hopefully helping us communicate, work together a little bit better and having a little bit better help D. And, uh, you know, that's something we got to – be better at and i gotta be better at and we're looking at for this coming season liam burns grabbed in the fourth uh with the fourth overall pick by coach copeland in that entry draft and then ben rendell slipped really to uh the third round he, he dropped a little bit farther than a, than a few of us expected but you had these two poles guys that have experience as you're saying playing against the best at the professional level another name that your team lost in expansion was face-off specialist juice simino but with jake withers on the roster i have to imagine you're pretty comfortable with where your team sits in terms of the face-off game a fellow canadian we saw that canadian face-off line a lot in the championship series with withers at the dot and then yourself and zach courier on the wings as fans should we expect to see some of the same in 2021 it seemed to work well last season create a lot of good transition off the draw yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's it's great being able to play with guys that I've played with before in Israel with Courier and uh, Withers there. Um, you know, it's hard to see Drew leave. Uh, him and Jake did a phenomenal job last season, um, you know, going on and off and keeping the other face-off guys honest. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll see a lot of that Canadian line, but I'm sure you see a lot of different things too. You know, Liam Burns might be up there on the wing. Um, you know, we got – I'm sure there's going to be other face-off guys that are going to have to help Wiz out. So – um, you know, I'm excited for, you know, Wiz, I know he's been training hard. I know Courier's always training hard. So I'm excited to get back on the faceoff line with those guys and compete for some loose balls. Your team yet to add a second faceoff man, but we will probably see Coach Copeland pick one up before the season starts. We talked about the defensive additions that Coach Copeland has made thus far this offseason. But before the entry draft, he went out and grabbed attackman Ryan Brown. He sent his second round college draft pick for him in a trade with the Atlas. And I have to say, that seems like a steal. I don't think you get a shooter anywhere near Brown's caliber in the second round of this draft, but this addition to your team's offense, what should he bring to the table? And then having him in the locker room, a veteran in those team huddles, him being on the offensive end while you run those transitions, think about pulling up from 20 or so out. What are you most excited for in terms of welcoming Ryan Brown to this water dogs team? Yeah, I think Ryan Brown's going to be a huge addition. Um, I think, you know, what he does best is shoot the ball. Um, he's got a phenomenal shot. And with that, comes the defense stretching out a little bit further. Um, so, you know, hopefully the defenses are pushing out. Um, that plays into a little bit of our, you know, somewhat box Canadian style two-man stuff for guys like Benny Mack and Birdie. Um, you know, hopefully seeing some more space on the inside with Brownies defenders pushing out on him. Um, so, you know, I think that's going to be a great addition. And then 
um, yeah, like you said, push and transition, you know, we're going to have a lot more looks than just kind of looking for that typical four and three transition pass, pass to the guy in the crease um, where he's going to be able to just catch and shoot from a lot of the places pushing transition. So I think this is a big pickup for him or for us. And, you know, I think this was a, a huge deal for us only giving up a second round college pick. Hopefully we'll see that offense come together. And, and, and obviously we have a college draft coming up. You guys sit at number two. So hoping to take advantage there of that uh, pretty valuable pick that you have. Ryland, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Goal Line Extended. Looking ahead to this 2021 PLL season, we're about three months out, but it's coming up fairly quickly. What are you most excited for? I'm just excited to play again. Um, you know, the last time playing an actual game or a practice was with the Water Dogs and in Utah there for the tournament. Um, you know, I'm just super excited to back out in training camp, compete with these guys again, and then, you know, play my first full season in the PLL. I'm super excited to travel around this, travel around the States, play games and, you know, just try and get a better season with the water dogs and a full season this time. When I talked to you last year, I remember we were talking about that. I think they might've had it scheduled that they were going back to Stony Brook, but is there a thought that the PLO will be taking the trip to Long Island and playing at Stony Brook again, like they did in, in 2018, 2019? Yeah, uh, that was on the schedule for the original before uh, the whole COVID and, you know, I, I would love to go back and play at Stony Brook. I don't know if it's on the schedule or not or if they're able to get that done. Um, but I would love to go back and play in Long Island there and, you know, hopefully see some familiar faces and play in front of some of the best fans again. So um, I'm hoping, but no promises. As I said earlier in this interview, the PLO announced today, today being Wednesday, that the schedule should be released sometime next week. Don't know how much they're going to be releasing. Don't know what kind of details they're releasing, but – Hopefully we'll have something. Hopefully Stony Brook is on that schedule. Ryland, thank you again. For everyone watching or listening, make sure to hit up Ryland on Instagram and Twitter at Ryland Reese. Take it easy, my man. Hope to talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for our sixth show here of Goal Line Extended. I want to thank you all for watching and or listening. If you are not already, make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube as well as on whatever podcast platform that you use. Search up Goal Line Extended and you should find it. You can also follow along Goal Line Extended on Instagram and Twitter at GL Extended. All of the links that you will need will be in the description of the video or podcast that you are viewing or listening to right now we will be back on tuesday to recap this weekend's slate of games and whatever else goes down in the world of lacrosse maybe a trade some waiver period pickups who knows that's why we are here so make sure to follow and subscribe to this show so that you don't miss the show i hope that you all have an incredible weekend and we will see you on tuesday follow the show on twitter and instagram at gl extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets you can find Lacrosse Flash on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and online at lacrosseflash.com.